you're familiar with. A um, couple things here. The abdomen, the chest, and the brain. It was said, "Will ever be will will be ever shut from the instruments of the wise and humane surgeon." That was a quote from about 1873 by the Queen um, Surgeon in 1873. Another quote, uh, this is from 1893, law will be simplified over the next century. Lawyers will have diminished and their fees will have been vastly curtailed. I wish it were so. Uh, this was found, uh, a quote that was given in 1895. It doesn't matter what he does, he will never amount to anything. So said Albert Einstein's teacher. Interesting. Um. It would appear that we have reached the limits of what is possible to achieve with computer technology. That was a quote in 1949. The Japanese won't make anything the people in the United States would ever want. That was 1954. Here, here's one of my favorites. Nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will be reality within 10 years. 1955. Here's another good one. Before man reaches the moon, your mail will be delivered within hours from New York to Australia by guided missiles. We stand on the threshold of rocket mail. Postmaster General, 1959. Uh, 1986. By the turn of the century, we will live in a paperless society. Uh, it's kind of hot. We, we're moving that direction. Um, uh, you know, the thing of it is, though, we're not really good at making predictions. You, um, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot more of these things that are out there if you get on, you know, search enough and long and hard enough. But, uh, you know, these things that, 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 that we said would happen that didn't and, and or wouldn't happen that did. Um, there's a lot of that, but I want to read for you, as I said, Isaiah chapter 48. This is a text from the Old Testament, and uh, then we're going to come to one, the one that we're going to be looking at in 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. I just want to, I want you to hear the statement that Isaiah makes in Israel, or to Israel in, in Isaiah chapter 48. Um, so listen to this. Um, he says, uh, listen to this, O house of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and and come from the line of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness, you who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is His name. Now listen carefully to verse 3. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. 
One of the arguments that Isaiah uses, particularly in chapter 40, chapters 42 and then 48 and 49, as he's discussing this, this God that Israel seems to have abandoned, is that you, you know that I'm God because I announce things in advance. I say things before they happen, and, and, and then once that, they, that I've made that announcement, they actually do, in fact, happen. Uh, unlike the other gods who make announcements, um, but they can't produce them, you know, the ability for God to predict the future, in my estimation, is what marks him off as God. There, there's this fundamental principle that probably becomes more real at, at Christmas time than, than any other season of the year. And it sounds something a little bit like this. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. In other words, with God, a promise that is made is a promise that's kept. A promise that is made is a promise that is kept. So I want to look at Second Peter chapter 3, because at the end of the first century, Jesus has already died. He's risen again. And we come, I would say, another 30, 40, 50 years down the road in, in history, in the history of the church. Jesus has already made this announcement. He said, as you see me go, I, 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 I'm, uh, I'm going to come back. Lots of those early first century people believed actually that that was something that was going to happen within their lifetime. A lot of questions raised in the New Testament about why Jesus hadn't returned quickly why he didn't uh, turn right around and come back. And, and there's the ari arisen these people who the Bible calls them scoffers who are calling into question the, the truthfulness of his words simply because he hasn't, hasn't arrived yet. But I want you to listen to what it sounds like in Second Peter chapter 3 when the apostle Peter is actually writing this second letter. Listen to what he says. He says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. And then he says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come. Scoffers, scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming, he promised, Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So listen to what's, what's happening here. Peter is, is confronted by men who are saying, you know what, if, if God is so sure of himself, why hasn't he kept his word? And the reminder is, well, just think about that. I mean, it was, it was by his word that the world came into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that same word that brought water and separated it and, and turned it into heavens and earth and, and sea, the same water that he called upon to destroy the earth, 
And in fact, there was a flood that destroyed it. Peter says to these scoffers, if you, if you think his word lacks power, you have a bad memory. <laughs> because when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Well, it seems to me that during this particular season of the year, during as we um, think about what we've just walked through and celebration of Christmas and, and heading into our new year, but it, it seems to me that that fundamental truth just becomes even more and more real to us. Uh, a promise made is a promise kept. And, you know, if God says it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. If God says, in, in fact, if God, well, God kept his promises ultimately when he sent his son for the first time, when he sent his son the first time. But I want to look at a handful of those promises. I want to remind us of some of them. There's lots of them. They're just uh, the ones that are probably the, mo the, the, the ones I want to share with you are probably some of the ones that maybe are a little bit more familiar with uh, to us, uh, uh, with people because of, well, because of the Christmas season um, as we... Uh, think of that. But I, for example, here's some of the promises. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. I've, I, I've loved to, I uh, sat down this last week and just started looking at and, and focusing on some of those specific Christmas uh, passages that, that really, um, when you read them all at once and you start meditating and thinking about it, it's just, it's, it's incredible to, to kind of put that together. Uh, Micah chapter 5, 2 says that he will be born in Bethlehem that little burg outside uh, the capital city, this, this Bethlehem. Bethlehem is uh, the city of bread. This place of David is going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. That's Micah 5.2. And in fact, in Luke chapter 2, if you read the Christmas story, you know that in, in uh, verses 4, 5, and 7, it explicitly says that, 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 uh, that he was born in Bethlehem. And in fact, God used the government in order to move them to Bethlehem so that he could be born in a particular place where, where God had predicted that he would be born. Uh, he says in Isaiah 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 14, he said, There will be a young woman who will conceive and give birth to a child, and his name will be called Emmanuel. This young virgin in Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 1 is identified at the birth of Jesus Christ. He says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, he says, you know, this, this, this horrendous story of, of Rachel re weeping for her children. And, and as you know, at the birth of Jesus, King Herod had given this command that, that they were to go out and they were to, they were to, he had every male child that was two years old or younger had them destroyed in order to eradicate the birth of this new king of the Jews. And Matthew tells us that that is the fulfillment of that prophecy that Rachel continues to weep for her children. Or Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. This, there's this rather unusual statement for Hosea where he says, uh, out of Egypt I, call, I have called my son. I mean, most people, prior to the coming of Jesus, they saw that as a reference, in fact, to the, to the Exodus calling um, Egypt or Israel out of Egypt, which was true. And yet Matthew tells us that that's explicitly what God had in mind when Joseph took Jesus south to Egypt in order to protect him from the onslaught of Herod. 
and then God called him back out of Egypt. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, one of my favorite passages is the whole chapter of, of Isaiah 40, but Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, anticipates one who will, who will come announcing ahead of time the birth of a Savior, making the, the way straight. And, and Luke reminds us that that, well, that's John the Baptist. He reminds us that John, John the Baptist did, in fact, come as Jesus' announcer, and he, he made the pathway ready. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, it talks about a light that will burst forth in Galilee. Matthew chapter 4 reminds us or identifies Galilee as the place where the ministry of Jesus was first initiated, and, and, and light comes forth in Galilee. I mean, you can multiply those over and over and over again during this time of the year, and you know, one of the things that ought to happen for us as Christian people is just some sort of an awareness that just simply reminds us again and again and again of the faithfulness of God and of His Word. He promised, and it happened. He said He would come, and He came. With God, a promise is made, and a promise made is a promise kept. If He says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so I want to come back to chapter 3 of Second Peter and verse 8. Because he says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. I think Peter wants us to recognize that God hasn't sent his son back. Not, uh, not because he doesn't plan on doing it. Not because there was something inherently bad about the plan. Not that God had failed to keep his promise but because God and in His intention had delayed that coming for a reason. Don't misunderstand God's patience, he says. You hear that call there? God doesn't count time like you and I count time. Uh, for, those, uh, for, for some people, you know, it's interesting because just, I, I just went and, and uh, spent some time in this whole debate between evolution and, and creation and just... Just, just a side note here, that has nothing to do with saying that one day a creation is, is a thousand years. Totally divorced from that. That's not the point of this passage. It has no intention of saying to, for God a, one day is equal to a thousand. It doesn't say that. It says like. The focus on this passage is patience. That's just a side note, just to think about that. But, but um, maybe you know about the guy who... Speaking of that, you know, maybe you remember or you've heard about the guy who had the conversation with God about this and how his time was different, how valuable things are uh, um, different. And, um, you know, with God, he said a penny is like a million years or like a million dollars and a million dollars is like a penny. And the guy asked God, you know, if he wouldn't mind giving him just one of God's pennies. And, and God said, well, sure, be back in a second. 
let it sink in. There's a reason why God hasn't come back. And you're it. We're it. <laughs> but did you notice that in the text? The reason that he doesn't return is because he desires to give everyone an opportunity to bring their, li their lives right in a relationship with his son. He's waiting for us to get ourselves together and to allow God to invade us. He, he, he's waiting because there are still lost people, and as long as there are lost people, God may yet delay his return. I just find that just fascinating. Does that just not amaze some of you as well? Maybe he's waiting for you. Maybe he's waiting for me. Maybe he thinks that I think I got it right, but I don't. I don't know. But he desires for you and me to know him personally, and he desires for your neighbor to know him. He wants to give him the opportunity or her the opportunity to come to faith. Oh, and he says, rest assured, it's going to happen. There's going to be a day when there will, be no longer, there will no longer be time, but don't count God's timing as inability. You hear the scoffers' mark, remarks on this? Recognize it as grace, not as inability. Recognize it as grace that he's giving us just one more opportunity because, you see, God will keep his promise to send his son. You can count on the fact that just as Christmas marks the faithfulness of God to send him the first time, you can rest assured, just as equally assured, that he will send him the second time. I just want you to look at a handful of text over over here toward the end of the of your Bible. If you want to open to Revelation chapter one, for example, um, just a few passing texts to try to encourage you, uh, you and in your thinking about what God has in mind for us. This particular verse, um, chapter one, verse seven. We're going to kind of skip through these a little bit quickly here, but Je Revelation chapter one, verse seven. Look, he's coming. He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Every eye will see him, it says. Be looking, because every eye will see him one day. They will see him come. Every eye. That, to me, is fascinating. I think Paul says it this way, that we will all bend our knees. If you go to chapter 2, these letters to the early churches in chapter 2, verse 7, for example, he who has, ear, has, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you hear that, that, that promise to, to the one who, is, who overcomes, to the one who lasts, to the one who is faithful? There is this entrance into the tree of life. Or you come down to verse 11 of chapter 2 there. Uh, he says, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. I like that one. There's absolutely nothing to fear if you are a Christian and you know the, 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 the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. He says that you don't have to worry about this second death. Amen. Amen. Come to chapter 2. You, or you, you go down to verse number uh, 17 of chapter 2. Um, 
To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives this. Uh, it, it, there's this special, this special relationship that exists that the one who overcomes receives from God. It's an invitation into his presence. Or you come to the end of chapter 2, verse 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. Chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes will, will like them, be just dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Or chapter, chapter 3, verse 12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Chapter 3, verse 21, down toward the end. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What, do you hear the incredible promises? To the one who overcomes, just as surely as God has has kept his first promise, he will keep this promise to you and me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. O oh, glorious day. We hear the promise. When he appears, we're going to be just like him because we will see him as he is. The book of 1 Thessalonians is absolutely full of promises of his return. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 ends with this promise that we, uh, this, this comment that we should and we should wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. The promise is he's going to come and he's going to rescue us. Chapter 3 of, of 1 Thessalonians, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holiness. Hear the promise there? He's coming. He's going to come with all of his holy ones. Or chapter 4, the whole last half of the chapter is all about not wanting us to be ignorant about those who fall asleep and, and if we, as if we had no hope. But he, he says in verse 14, he says, We believe that Jesus died and he rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There's this coming of the Lord in which those who have preceded us in death will, will meet us in the air. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I've got friends that I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, whose faces I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, I don't know about, uh, about you, but you know, I, I'm just really anticipating that day of reunion, not just with Jesus, although that's ultimately my goal, uh, to see Jesus face to face, but there are some people that I really want to see again, some people I really want to, to, to talk to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 
and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Right, these promises over and over again. He will come back, he will return, and we live in that promise. If God said it, if he said it would happen, in, in fact, it will, in fact, happen. Because with God, a promise made is, in fact, a promise kept, and he will return. Well, let's look at verse 11 in our text, 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and guided lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of, he of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found blameless, spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them, of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and and forever. Amen. You know, here was the difficult statement to make. See, it's not hard to say that God kept His promises when He sent His Son. It's not difficult to say that God will keep His promises to send His Son. I'm hoping that I can say with confidence, we will keep our promises to follow His Son. Because really, that's what this text is about. Do you see that? In light of the first and final coming, He says to us, be faithful followers. That's really the bottom line of this text. What manner of people ought we to be in light of Christmas? That's the question. In light of His coming, how should that affect us? How should it change us? Verse number 11 is a real powerful question. What ought we to be? And so here's my question as we, we come to the end of this, uh, of this Christmas season and now entering into the new year. Because I really want you to think about this this week. Think about it today. Think about it this week. But why did you become a disciple in the first place? Let that resonate just a Why did you become a disciple in the first place? You know, I, I know why God has sent His Son. 
God sent His Son to redeem the world. I, I know why, 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 he's, why He's sending His Son back. He's sending His Son back to redeem the world. What I don't always know is why I responded to the message. I, you know, some days I think I responded to that message because I really wanted, I just wanted some sort of protection from the future. I mean, that, that's not always bad. But was there any more to it than just that? You know, I don't want to burn up someday. When I decided to become a disciple, was there an implicit um, promise that I was, I was making? Was there something that was implied in that promise that I was making to him? And, and, and I think that we know the answer to that question. That in saying yes to Jesus, we implicitly make some promises to him. I mean, some things are just understood. The promise to follow him, for example. I mean, that's exactly what's being, what, what being a disciple really is, isn't it? The fo- to follow, or the promise to follow Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Did we not implicitly make that promise to obey him? To, to do as he said that we should do. Did, did we not make the promise to grow in him, to, to become more like him so that he would have a presence in this world between his first and his second comings? See, this text here, it closes with, with this benediction. But grow in the knowledge and in, in, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, when I became a disciple, I implicitly made that my promise. That I was not in this for only what I could get out of it. But I was in this for what I could do to be like Him in this world. With God, a promise made is a promise kept. The question is, is that true for you? Is it true that the promise that you've made to Him Will be, kept, will be a promise kept, to be faithful, to grow, to follow, to honor, to obey. The, the, the Christmas season is such an incredible, I think, just an incredible reminder of God's great and precious promises and how certain those promises are. But it's also, I think, a very clear question about how certain my promises are. And just what I want to do this morning is just... just uh, to simply encourage every one of us to grow, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, to put yourself in a position in this new year where you can become more and more and more like Him. We're now in the fifth day of January of this new year. I wonder what would happen in your life and what would happen in the life of this church if every single one of us made a promise to get involved something that would help us to grow whether it be a, a, a bible study you know just something i was in, uh, looking at this week and it's been on my heart and i don't know why but um but a friend of mine bruce lives in chicago another friend of mine lives in south dakota named dave and when i was in, in graduate school we were all meet we used to meet at, at our place um, or sometimes at the at the college or Lincoln Christian University, and 
we met every single week. We had, I, just, I, I stumbled across an old journal that I had that I was keeping when I was, it was all about accountability because we knew as individuals that if we didn't meet together and we didn't talk together and we didn't help hold each other accountable, um, that we have, are, are, are potentially vulnerable, especially as ministry students. Two of us went on to be, well, I should say Bruce kind of kind of sort of did. He, he went in a different kind of a ministry, but all three of us used to meet. And I, I keep in touch with those guys, but I, we've kind of left off the notes. And I just thought, I just uh, thought that came in my mind how cool it would be 20 years later, or maybe it's been a little longer than that, 25, um, to call them back up and say, hey, you know what? We're getting older. Maybe it's time that we do this again. Um, accountability is something that the Bible talks about, that we hold each other, men and women, uh, that we hold each other accountable. We talk to each other about what's happening in our lives so that we are growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, maybe that's something like that. Maybe it's something like we talked about reading God's Word or spending some time in the Bible study. One of the things that I tell my kids all the time, I've told, in fact, I have a couple of kids, uh, a couple of guys that I, I've, I've ministered to and discipled with over the years, and, and they remind me of these very words every time. It's like, man, I don't know. I want to kick them for reminding or bringing it up. But I always told them, I said, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not growing in your faith, your faith is actually dying. And so now they call me up and they say, Paul, are you growing? Paul, are you growing? I want to just smack them. It's like, what? Where are you at in the Bible right now? Uh, we want to know. Um, we, we, if you're not moving forward, if you're not constantly learning, if you're not constantly getting more of God in your life, you're actually not, you're, you're not, if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, so whatever it is, I don't know if it's a way to serve more, if it's in, in being in God's word more, I don't know. But just one thing, making a promise to God and making that, you know, just thinking about just the one thing that you might think about in ways that you might grow making that promise, making that your New Year's resolution, to do your best to keep just one promise. That's all I'm encouraging you to do. Well, you can do two or three if you want. But that one promise, making it before God. Because with God, a, prom a promise made is a promise kept. And I don't think that we can offer him anything less in return, can we? Than to keep our promises to him. Right? Let's pray together. Father, once again, just thank you for this new year and for all of your promises. God, I just know that at the, uh, the, the passion of my heart, the desire, the true desire of my heart is to just get close to you and to see you as you are. God, I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to become casual. I don't want to just kind of go through the motions. I, I don't want to just do the same old things that I've done. I want to be renewed. I want to be new. I want to see, I want to see your power and your majesty and your ex the exciting things that you can do, God. I know that you can, and I want to see that in my life and in this church. God, I just don't want to stay where I'm at. I want to grow in you. And I pray that that would be our heart's desire for each of us today. So I pray for this new year. I pray for all the days ahead of us and the possibilities and the opportunities. 
help us to take and take those and opportunities and and to face them head on and to just glory uh, just to to be excited in in and in, in to to revel in your glory in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand together. Thank you.